0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts. Hear the word of the Lord from Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. May God bless the reading of his word.
1: Thank you. All right, so obviously I'm not Doug Logan. Uh, We were going to have a a guest speaker today, Um, one of the, can you turn me down, Robert, one of the associate directors of Acts 29, but he got stuck in some you know airplane stuff so anyway I'm here but I'm happy to be here and I uh, really want to preach what I feel like is the direction uh, that our church is going you know over the last five or six months I've been asking the Lord basically the question how, how do we both sustain and grow what has been done so far how do we both sustain and And grow what has been done so far and what I've known uh, what I've noticed is a lot of times you can look back to get some ideas on how to go forward okay and so uh, there was one time I was in uh, my uh, one of my professors offices when I was in college and I picked up this book and the book was called Apostolic Fathers and I was like that sounds interesting and when I picked the book up he looked at me he said this book will change your life and I was like oh goodness what is in this book and what, it, what the Apostolic Fathers are It's a collection of writings from the disciples of the apostles. It's a collection of writings from the disciples of the apostles. It's the earliest Christian writings that we have outside of the scriptures themselves. And that kind of set me on this journey uh, to dig deep into church history. And I found that a lot of the questions that I ask about church, that I ask about evangelism, that I ask about justice, that I ask about all these things, that there are good examples that we can look in the past and find. And so I have been gleaning for years from the early church. And, And one of the things that I discovered about the early church is they had a high regard for scripture. They love the scripture. They they valued the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and they were rich in works of charity and justice. Those are things that I want. I I want us to value the text of scriptures. I want us to be attentive to the leading of the Spirit, and I want us to be rich in works of charity and justice. Before I dig in, I'm going to ask the Lord for help. Lord Jesus Christ, I ask that you would show your power today, that you would speak through me, that you would open up our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, that we would not only understand your word, but that you would give us the boldness and the resolve to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what I'm kind of describing, y'all know I'm a a nerd. If you don't know, there it is. Uh, What I'm describing is I want to call this the patristic vision. And patristic is a fancy word. It just means fathers. So church fathers. The patristic vision. And there's three things that I've noticed and three things that I want us as a church to walk in. The first one is spiritual formation. The second one is common prayer. The third one is is justice through institution. I'm going to explain all that, but I'm going to say it again. Spiritual formation, common prayer, justice through institution. I'm going to explain it all, but I want you all to know where we're going. So we look at the text, and we can see the early church, the first church was dedicated to spiritual formation. Look at verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So spiritual formation is the the process of becoming more Christ-like. And and to accomplish this, we, we learn and practice spiritual disciplines such as meditating on the scripture, practicing silence and solitude, listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The idea is that there are practices that have been handed down from the scriptures that if we put in practice, the Holy Spirit works in us to make us look more like Christ. The reason I like to say spiritual formation instead of spiritual disciplines is because we need to understand the end goal. The end goal is not that we just do some stuff. The end goal of the spiritual disciplines is the goal of union with God and conformity to Christ. So, so, so in Galatians 4.19, Paul is talking, he says, My children, I am suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. He said, this is the the goal of of my letter to you. The goal of my instruction to you is not just that you would know some stuff, but the goal of my instruction is that the character of Christ Jesus would be formed in you. He says in Colossians 3.10, he says, you have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. He's saying, I don't want you just to know stuff to know stuff, but I want you to look more and more like God. And so we can look at the text of Scripture and see that they had these corporate disciplines. They're things that they did together. And this isn't rocket science. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now the question is, okay, that's, what is that? What did the apostles teach? I'd say, I, I say they would teach doctrine, they would teach ethics. And they would teach prayer. Doctrine, ethics, prayer. So the doctrine is really the, the Jesus' explanation of how the Old Testament scriptures are pointing to him as the risen Lord of all creation and that all uh, people everywhere are called to respond and, and repent. So what's interesting is, is the, this, this thing we recite every week, the, the Apostles' Creed, it really is this summation of the Apostles' teaching. He's like, look, you can look at all the Old Testament and sometimes it's really confusing but if you look at it through the interpretive grid of what the apostles creed is you can understand the apostles teaching for example yesterday we had men's breakfast and we were in psalm 8 and in psalm 8 it's talking about how how god has created man to reflect his image to have his authority and that that all things would be submitted to his feet like well, what does that have to do with jesus christ when Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, quotes Psalm 8 and says, listen, man has failed to do that, but there is this one named Jesus who has come, who has perfectly reflected the, the, the mission of what man should do, and that presently, as he sits at the right hand of the Father, everything is being subjected to his feet. So so when you're reading scripture, it's not just random things jumbled together. It is telling us about the supremacy of who Christ is, of what he has done to address our sin problem and the future that we can look forward to. They didn't only teach this doctrine, they taught ethics. Now listen, if if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, and if you pay attention, it's Jesus' commentary on the Ten Commandments. Right? Like, you have heard it, say you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you have hate in your heart towards your brother, you have murdered him in your heart. So Christian uh, teaching, apostolic teaching is about the doctrine of who Christ is. And it's about the ethics, the, 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 the outworking of, of how we live uh, before God and in front of others. And then you also have this, this prayer that Christ modeled a lifestyle of prayer. And gave us this mission of prayer. Now, we're going to come back to that in the sermon. You see, this other corporate discipline of breaking bread. and the book of Acts, breaking bread is code word for communion. Then they're not just talking about we eating. Because it goes back to what Jesus said when, when he lifted the bread up and he broke it. That's a code word for communion. See, see, Jesus gave us these two corporate practices as a church. this communion and baptism. And they point to and recapitulate his sacrificial death and resurrection. That Christ is offering himself to us through the sacraments, ordinances, all your life. Well, this seems simple, but but beloved, this is what has been handed down to us. That in corporate worship, that, that, that these simple things that we do, this singing, this praying, this teaching, that Christ uses those regular things to make us more like him. That's why it's important. And then that, that these corporate disciplines, that we would have individual disciplines as well. In reality, the individual disciplines are doing the corporate disciplines by yourself, right? That's, I mean, that's what it is, right? So we pray in the church, and you're supposed to pray by yourself, right? Like, like, like one of the things that has been a, a, an unsuspected benefit of our prayer time in the church is that I've noticed that my kids have language for prayer. One time he said... Uh, my son said, can we pray together? I said, sure. And I just started praying. He said, no, do the Lord have mercies. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. <laughs> like he's, but it's interesting. He's, had, he's developing language for prayer in private that we have sculpted together in the church. That, 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 that when we're studying scripture, that what I, what I want you to know is that when we preach the scripture, what we're doing is I'm not trying to impose my meaning on the text I want the meaning of the text to arise from the text itself so that I can understand what God is saying. And the idea is that you would learn how to do that yourself. That when you're reading scripture, you would say, man, what, Lord, what did you mean when this was written? Beloved, that we confess our sins together, but we also confess our sins to the Lord. And one of the practices that we do whenever we confess sin, we have this assurance that Christ forgives us. I hope that when you confess your sins by yourself, that you are reminded that Christ forgives you. And that we would have these, this, this little thing called family devotion. Now, I know some of us parents, you're like, disciple your kids, and you're like, how how do I do that? Listen, y'all know how I like to make stuff simple. If you, if you would just one time a day do this, Read, sing, pray. We read some scripture, we sing a song, and we pray. And you're like, is that enough? No, God has given us these simple means, these simple methods that in the hands of the spirit of the living God transforms us as people. So a lot of times when when I talk about spiritual disciplines, people are like, well, you know, I'm supposed to do this, that, and the other, but they don't understand the end goal. The end goal is that you will look like Christ. Listen, there's this part in the book of Acts where, where the, the apostles are preaching and, and the Pharisees are looking at them. And they said, listen, we know these men are uneducated. That's a real nice way of saying it. they We know they're not that smart, but we can tell they've been with Jesus. All right, so, so that's, that's the goal, that, that we would use these disciplines so that our character is transformed so that no matter what other things people could say about us, they're like, you might be this, that, or another, but I can tell something, that you have been with Jesus. All right? Spiritual formation. The goal of the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of, the we- of, of bread, prayer is union and conformity to Christ Jesus. Now, we'll go down and look at verse 46. we are going to talk about this idea of common prayer. In verse 46, it says, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Now, what I want you to catch real quick, now, the apostles taught that this, the sacrifice of Christ was sufficient. So why are they going to the temple every day? Well, what's going on? Why are, they, why are they going to the temple every day? The, the question would be like, what, what does this prayer time look like? What did it look like in the early church? See, the apostles incorporated the Jewish practice of fixed hour prayer, because they were Jews, yes? What it means is there's this Jewish practice of daily prayer in the Old Testament, And the Jewish people, they began to follow uh, these scripture readings, psalms, and hymns at fixed hours of the day. So if you remember the book of Daniel, y'all remember why he got thrown into the lion's den. The reason he got thrown into the lion's den is because the scripture says that he prayed three times a day. And they said, hey, hey, you can't pray anymore. You must pray to to this, this idol. And he says, no, I have this commitment. I have this appointment with God three times a day, and I need to make sure that I keep it. And his appointment with God was important enough that he risked his life to keep it. And so that, that is the culture in which Jesus and the apostles were growing up in. And you're like, well, what did they do? Again, this is going to sound so overly simple. What, what, when they pray, what do they do? Did they have like this amazing Holy Ghost time? Maybe sometimes, but really they, 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 rep- they repeated the Shema. The Shema is, hear Israel, the Lord our God is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They sang psalms, they, they, they recited scripture, and they re- recited the commandments. They had these simple practices ingrained in their day-to-day. Now, why, why? So that they could have this consistent reminder of who God is. And you're like, well, how do you know? How do you know the apostles did this? Look, in Acts 3.1, it says, Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. That's the apostles. What was interesting is they were so committed that I'm committed to this time of daily prayer that I have this rhythm of going to the place of prayer. And what's interesting, you might have looked at that and they said, "Well, they go every day and they go pray every day." But what's interesting in that time of obedience, God healed somebody in Acts three, that as they were going about their business praying, that they saw this man who was sick, and they prayed for him. Like, how about this in Acts ten nine? This is Peter. It says. The next day, as they were traveling and near the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. Why? Because he had a practice of praying throughout the day, where it wasn't random, it was strategic and systematic. And when he was in this practice of praying, he had this revelation from God that, that the mission is not just to the Jewish people, it's to the Gentiles. Now, this idea of common prayer, it means this, that, that we pray at the same times, we pray to similar things. And over the centuries, Christians have followed unique corporate rhythms of prayer. What, what I found so interesting is in modern culture, when we gather, we gather to teach. That's the thing we do. Now, when I was reading, reading church history, they gathered to pray. Now, now, people talk during that, but the, the, the motivating driver was we need to pray. We have things to, to lift up to God, and we need to gather, because if we don't pray, we won't see the power of God. And it says, it says one such practice, this idea of unique corporate prayer rhythms, is called the daily office. And this is just historical. By the time of the Roman Empire, which is the time that the text was written, bells began the workday at 6 in the morning... There was a mid-morning break at nine, there was a noon meal at 12, there was uh, some trade at three, and there was closed business at six. And what's interesting is Christians began to order their prayer life around these times of prayer. And by the second and the third centuries, early church fathers, such as Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, and Origen wrote of the practice of the daily office. They, they pray, they, the prayers were prayed both individually and in group settings, as in monasteries. Now here, this just kind of goes some history. Monasteries did the fixed hours of prayer for individual and corporately. And listen, these hours of prayer continued through the Middle Ages and into the Reformation. And Thomas Cranmer, who was a reformer, he condensed the daily office into morning and evening prayer. What's interesting is when the reformers were reforming the church, what they did not want to cut out was this consistent emphasis on fixed times of prayer. They say, we're gonna reform a lot of stuff, but this one, we need to keep this because we need to make sure that people are living their life before God. So, again, like, what, what, what did the early Christians do? Like, this is not, we don't have to guess. Like, you can go read it. They would read scripture, they would pray the Lord's Prayer, they would recite psalms, they would sing worship songs, and they would wait on God in silence. You're like, that doesn't seem amazing. But, beloved, when you have this practice of being present before the Lord, He changes you. And so again, this happened both when they were together and when they were apart. That goes back to the examples in Acts. So in Acts 3, Peter and John went to the temple together. In Acts 10, Peter was by himself. He's like, even though I'm not with the people, I still need to pray. Now what's interesting is I kind of discovered this in the early early stages of the church plant. And one thing about church planting is you feel like you're running around with a chicken with your head cut off. Like... There is so much to do all the time, and you're never done. Like, you, when I go home, you just decide to be done because there's more stuff to do. And one of the interesting things is I learned about the importance of slowing down multiple times a day to be present with the Lord. So I've been doing this for about three or four years. And, and what's interesting is, is I did it for a couple months, I didn't say anything. And my wife said, Well, what are you doing? Something's different about you. And I thought, Man, This intentionality of being present with the Lord is having effects on me. And to be honest, I wanted to make sure I practiced it before I brought it to the church. That's how I've been practicing it for three or four years, that I am present to the Lord consistently. Listen, listen, if you have these regular times of prayer with the Lord, it's a lot easier to pray without ceasing. Yeah? It's a lot lot easier for your mind and your heart to be drawn towards him. What's so interesting is when I think about the gospel, one of the metaphors for the gospel is marriage, right? That Christ, he's the, the, the husband and the church is the wife. And what I think, uh, you think about marriage union, there's really two components, right? There's the legal paper component, like, see, proof, we're married, right? And then there's the, like, we hang out, <laughs> I know you. And, and what, I, what I seem to, to see in Christian world is that we are sufficient with the paper, but we don't actually want to grow in friendship. I'm married with him. See, he did the thing on the cross. I'm at, well, yeah, we together. Remember, he did the thing. But I'm saying that's one aspect of union. But he did all the stuff on the cross and the resurrection so that you could have experiential union. See what I'm saying? He wants to have a living relationship with you. And beloved, it's good that he took care of this work. It's good that he shed his blood. It's good that he rose again. It's good that the spirit lives in you. He's saying, listen, I just don't want it to be on paper. I want you to know me. All right? So spiritual uh, formation, common prayer, justice through institution. Look at verse 44. It says, now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all. As any had need. Now, what's interesting, you can follow this through the scriptures. What happened at first, uh, people were bringing the proceeds to the apostles, and the apostles distributed. And then in Acts 6, they were like, Man, we got to preach. This is really hard. Can y'all, can y'all get some people called deacons? Can they start doing it? And then when you get to 1 Timothy 5, there's like this whole system that has been created to take care of this need. Now, here's the deal. Whenever you start and say the word justice, people think you're a Marxist. I'm not that. The Bible, we read a psalm that had the word in it, okay? Listen, I want to give you a, a snapshot of what it means to pursue justice because I've been having to think about this because there, people have a lot of assumptions. And when you think about justice, I want you to think about four things. I want you to think about service, vocation, advo- advocacy, and institution. I know this is a heady sermon, but I want you to understand what we're doing. When you think about justice, you see Jesus was concerned with serving those around him, yeah? He, he made sure that those around him were served. That's the easiest one to understand. Who is my neighbor? The one that's right around you, would you serve them? And if you don't serve them according to God, that, that is you committing injustice. Then you have this idea of vocation. This idea of vocation is that every single one of you has specific roles and responsibilities that are specific to you. So, so look, 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 my, what are my vocations? What are my callings before the Lord? Well, I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor. This is, not, this is not rocket science. But here's the deal. When there is injustice, there is a vocation that is abused or a vocation that is abdicated, right? So if I, as a father, am abusive to my kids, that is injustice. Why? Because I abused my vocation. If I, as a father, am absent, that is is injustice because I have abdicated my vocation. And when you look around and you see what, what is breaking down, or we can even get it more complicated. So, so, so when, if I am a banker and I'm supposed to do my job, but I'm swindling people into getting loans that they don't need, I am abusing my vocation. There's a way I could do the job that would be honorable to God, but there's a way I could do the job that would hurt people. And listen, listen. Justice thrives when people fulfill their roles and responsibilities. Injustice is the abdication or the abuse of people's roles and responsibilities. So listen, everybody likes to be all justicey on Twitter and Facebook. But listen, the first step is this. Are you fulfilling your specific roles and responsibilities? Because that is what God has set up to care for the people immediately around you. All right, so so we expand a little bit. What What is this advocacy thing? It's this idea of standing up for the vulnerable. You can look at the prophetic books all the way from Isaiah to Malachi and they're really repetitive. I don't know if you've understood this now. They're really repetitive. They say two things. Will you worship God and will you stop abusing people? Who, how are they abusing people? They are having exorbitant interests. The poor are being overlooked and he said, listen, stop that. We see this in the life of Jesus, that, that when people are overlooked, say, like the woman of the well, people didn't respect her. They're like, why don't you go get your water when it's really hot? Jesus says, no, 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 I see you. We see this, this idea of advocacy, right? That we see problems and we're not silent. We say, now, this is an issue. And then the last step, the last step is institution. Now, an institution is an organization, establishment, foundation, or society devoted to the promotion of a particular cause or program. So let me, let me make it real clear, let me make it real clear. So you could say something like, oh man, uh, the education system is really bad, we should make it better. Now that's good, that's advocacy. Now, now wh- wh- what would you do then? Then you say, well actually, I'm gonna start a mentoring program, and I'm going to go to the public school, and I'm going to establish a system through which I address this issue. Do you see what I'm saying? See, you see, like, advocacy is usually, it's not, it's not expensive to you. But, but if you're going to say there's an issue and you want to address the issue, then you have to create something to fix the issue. Now, listen, the foundational institution in the Scripture in Genesis 1 is the family, right? So, so we, need to, we need to make sure that we're carrying out our roles and responsibilities there. And then Christ founded this institution called the church for the proclamation of the gospel and the discipling of people. And then even within the church, we have something called benevolence, right? What is that? There are processes, procedures, people volunteering so that when people have needs, we're not just like, I don't know. There's a system. We did some work. And so we know what to do. This is, this is in the nitty gritty. But listen, that is where actual service and justice is, in the nitty gritty. Not in yelling and being loud, but in the nitty gritty. That's how we tangibly serve people. And so there is actually a history to this idea of Christian institution. In the 300s, there is this pastor named Basil. Basil the Great. I guess he was really great. All right. He, He lived in the Middle East. And what was interesting is he began to see needs in his city. And, and he would start building various things to assist things. So the, uh, leprosy was a big deal. Now, leprosy was highly contagious. So if you had leprosy, you were like, gone on somewhere. And he's like, we don't need to say gone somewhere. We need to build a house for the lepers so that we can assure that they have food and clothes. We need to actually build something. And see, this eventually grew into a large complex of buildings that not only served as a distribution center for donated goods, but also provided shelter for the homeless, skilled medical services to the sick, and especially treatment for leprosy. So listen, I want you to see, he saw an issue, he began to advocate for it, and then he did something about it. Here's the deal. The origin of the modern hospital is what I just said. Basil the Great in the 300s, a pastor. That is the origin of, of the hospital. Or you can go think about uh, uh, the greatest Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, in the 1800s in London. He was a pastor, he had a huge church, and he was about that gospel, okay? But listen, one day he was in a prayer meeting in 1866 and he said, Dear friends, We are a huge church and should be doing more for the Lord in this great city. I want us tonight to ask him to send us some new work. And if we need money to carry it on, let us pray that the means also be sent. A few days later, he received a letter with 20,000 pounds and a request that they would start a boy's home. And he says, this is is him quoting. He said, In London alone, 100,000 children wander in destitution, preparing for our jails or for early graves. Children of the gutter, their food is scant, their lodging foul, their clothes ragged. He saw a need, yeah? He saw the need. He began to say something about it, but then he didn't just say something about it, he built something to address it. You see what I'm saying? Moreover, listen, he actually created a pastor's college. And the whole reason he created a pastor's college is because people couldn't afford to go to seminary. The whole reason he created one. So so listen, Spurgeon never rejected a student on account of their meagerness in education. So if they didn't have a lot of education or of culture is he was convinced that the student was called by God. He said, you can come to school and if you can't afford it, we will pay for it. And what's interesting, and there was this, there was this pipeline that we had, there was boys who, who were saved off the street in the orphanage that Spurgeon founded, and, and they grew up, and then they went to the pastor's college, and then they were sent out as pastors and missionaries. That doesn't happen just because you feel some kind of way. You've got to build something. You see what I'm saying? I got one more example. Martin Luther King, Jr., you know, what's interesting, people, when people are talking about the church, they're like, the church, they did something. They fixed something. You see, see Martin Luther King Jr., he saw the, the issue of discrimination, and he saw the, 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 the trampling of civil rights. And what did he do? He started something called the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. It's a non-sectarian American agency with headquarters in Atlanta, established by Martin Luther King in 1957 to coordinate and assist local organizations working for the full equality of African Americans in all aspects of life. He saw a problem, he said something about it, and then what? He built something. Do you you see what I'm saying? So, So listen, if we want to have lasting impact, This is the path through which we do that. And beloved, we can do that right now. This idea of justice through institution affects the way that we do outreach. So listen, look, every week we have visitations on our property for for those who are in the foster care system to come and visit their parents. Last week we had 10, 10, different families came to our church to meet with their child. Now you can't just you be like, I want to help kids. But how? You gotta build something. (laughs) Or or not only that, like like uh, we we have this relationship, this, this, this partnership with Carolina High School, which is an institution that is in a needy part of our city that doesn't have the assets. And so we say, all right, we're gonna help you. And so Tom gets a crew and starts feeding the athletes. And then we go up and do FCA. Listen, listen, I want you to understand. So the things that we're doing are not just random. We see institutions that need help and we help them. That means that our help is sustainable. Let me me tell you how Welcome Leadership Development started. Me and Caleb would walk around doing prayer walks. And we would say, what does the community need? And Everybody was saying they need something for the kids now. We heard that for like two years and we're like, well, but what are we gonna do? I mean like of course we want to help kids like <laughs> that's a good thing. What, what do we do? What do we do? And so the first step was we just called different nonprofits. We have a building Would you like to do a thing? <laughs> and then everybody kept saying no and so finally it was like I guess we're gonna have to build an institution <laughs> there, there, There's not one that exists And so we had to build something called Welcome Leadership Development so that we could have services and programs and mentorships for kids in middle and high school in our community. Do you see how this philosophy guides what we do? So if we want to be about doing something, there actually are some steps in which we can be about doing the thing. Now listen, what is the result of a church that... that Longs for spiritual formation in themselves, that they want to be made like Christ, that they are dedicated to common prayer, and that they are going to address the issues around them. You look at verse 43 in Acts 2, it says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. You look at verse 47, it says, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So, so, so what happens when a church says, we are going to be about spending time with Jesus. We are going to be about being conformed to his image. And we are going to be about helping tangible needs around us. Beloved, there is joy and the Lord adds to his kingdom. That is is what I want. And here's the deal. If you are all about the work of service and justice, but you do not have a relationship with Jesus that is thriving, you will get burnt out. You won't be able to do it. But if your heart is inflamed with love for Christ because you have been with him, then you can keep going. I don't know if y'all know this, but helping people ain't pretty. You don't feel all good in your stomach all the time. I, I done had some people say stuff to me. And I'm not like, I'm trying to help you. <laughs> you know? But the only way that we can respond in a Christ-like manner is that we have been with Christ. Yeah? And so, and so that this lifestyle of, of prayer and of action, it is attractive. And not only that, it has transformative power. All right, we're going to review. All right. What's the three things? Spiritual formation. I need to make sure that I am pursuing Christ through the spiritual discipline so that He is making me look like Him. Common prayer. I am going to set aside multiple times a day where I seek the Lord, where I open my ears to hear what He's saying in the text of Scripture, and when I pray about those things that are happening around me. Three, that that if we want to see tangible change, then we will be involved in institutions. I'm going to say this thing real quick. Our church, I don't know if y'all noticed or not, our church has a reputation for doing stuff. It's good stuff. But a reputation for addressing needs. Now, what that means is that people are going to start coming to our church because of the reputation. But if you don't actually participate, In the institutions that we are building and assisting, then you 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 are just like like riding on the on the favor of the and the work of other people. But if you want to get involved, I'm telling you, there's very tangible way. So listen, you're like, man, I really, you know, I I really want to help children. Listen, I want you to get with Christine. We we need to develop a system to not just host these families. We need to develop a system through which we serve them. If you're like, man, I really I care about the children. I really want to make sure that that they don't get involved in gangs, then you need to volunteer and welcome leadership development. What I'm saying is if you want to be a part of the change, listen, there, there was a time when, when the, the only institution was I just walked around the neighborhood and said hello to people. And that's really hard to get you involved in. But now we have some stuff where I can say, listen, you get plugged in there and let's handle the thing. So what does this mean? How do we implement this? So, so y'all know that we... Uh, um, celebrate Lent. We want to have this time where we're focused on prayer and I want this to be the banner of what we're doing. And so when we think about common prayer and we think about praying at fixed times in the day, I'm sure some people are like, what do you do? There is a guide on the welcome desk. It says, "Filled God for daily prayer. It'll walk you through it. If you don't pray, if you don't have a consistent time with the Lord, then you pick one time a day and you do it. If you do, I'm challenging you to have two. And it's right there. It's not confusing. What else are we going to do to implement this thing? We're going to have a Sunday evening prayer, 4 p.m., starting in Lent. I say, we're going to gather to what? To pray. Because we want to see God at work. So on Sundays at 4 p.m., at least for six weeks, for the time of Lent, we're going to be gathering in common prayer. Because we don't want to just... The thing about this, when you gather to, to hear some teaching, it's a very passive thing. Yeah? It's like, oh, I hear you did. But listen, what they, what they used to call prayer, they used to call it the work of the people. Yeah? So if you want to participate, then we come and we seek God together. If you were at our um, worship night that we had in December, it'll look very much like that. Prayer can be fun. Okay? And then we also have this, this component where we are going to give. Like last year, we gave away over $10,000 to organizations in our community. We're going to, we're going to uh, the church is going to match five, and you all can give to the Lent Fund. And we're going to give to two organizations. We're going to give to Carolina High School Athletics because we have that ongoing relationship with them. Let me tell you, let me tell you why. One, I, was, I was speaking with them one time, and they were like, why don't you have a booster club? A booster club is what funds athletics so that kids have extracurricular activities. They're like, we don't have enough money to have a booster club. So that's an institution that is struggling, that provides something for our community that we can then come and support. You see how, you see how tangible this can be? The, what we're also going to give to is we've been praying. We want our after our school program to, to, to expand and to be more effective. And we are developing a, a partnership with a nonprofit called Elias. They have an after-school program in Nickel Town, and what's gonna happen is they're gonna come take over our after-school program, and so it's only, instead of it only being two times a week, it's gonna to go to three to four times a week. We're gonna have open gym every week. Well, we gotta raise some money for that to happen, because we're gonna hire somebody to work that, that position so that we can offer more robust help for those of our students in our community. That's, that's what we're gonna be raising money for. And in the long term, What I hope that you gain from this is that you would understand the importance of consistently being present to the Lord. A lot of times when I ask people, do you pray? They say throughout the day. What they're saying is no, but I want to say something spiritual. Okay? (laughs) That's what they say. But I'm telling you, there's tangible ways you can be present to the Lord. Let me just tell you one little story and I'll be done. You can ask the question, how does how does this idea of justice through institution relate to evangelism? So let me explain this. So there are students that come to our out of school program that y'all, they don't know Jesus and their families don't go to church, a lot of them, all right? And um, we were, it's very easy to do stuff with, with the boys because it's a basketball goal. <laughs> You're like Just go play basketball. But there's like, there's like a cu- couple girls go there and they were just sitting. and they just sit there. And so one day um, I was like, what do y'all wanna do? <laughs> you know, like, and then we talked about, like, well, can we get nail polish and all And just, Olivia got some of that. Anyway, we were talking about that, and at some point, I was like, hey, man, do you know what the gospel is? And they just looked at me. And so I explained the gospel to them. It was interesting. There was, a, there was this sober moment where dudes are yelling, playing basketball, but they are locked in on the message of the gospel. And I said, do you want a relationship with Jesus? And every single one of them said yes. And every single one of them prayed to receive Christ. Well, so so how, does the, how does the institution write to evangelism? I would not know them <laughs> if it weren't for the institution. I would not have had the opportunity if it weren't for the thing that we built. That is why it is vital that you are present at the things that we build. Because you have an opportunity. Listen, I'm telling you. Some of y'all was in here, some of y'all who live here, y'all remember when I was walking around? People were like, why is this man walking around this neighborhood? What are you doing? It's awkward, but you know what? It's a lot less awkward where you're like, here's the thing. (laughs) Come to this thing that we do. And then you can build relationships for the sake of the gospel, that you you can help people's tangible needs, and you can tell them about the one who could save them. So all I have to say is, is imagine with me what Jesus could build if we followed this patristic vision. What could he build in us? And what could he build through us? Let's pray. Father, I'm Lord, I ask that that Lord, I I I want everybody under the sound of my voice to, to know you deeply psalm 16 it says in your presence there is fullness of joy so father would you pour out the spirit on your people and lord would they seek you in your presence with this expectation that they will receive spiritual supernatural joy joy that that builds us up even when times are hard joy that builds us up even if we are rejected joy that is that is indestructible and full of glory as peter says and father i pray that that our hearts would be burdened for what your heart is burdened for lord god you didn't save us and just take us out to heaven you left us here so that we could be your hands and your feet. So Lord, give us the energy and the resolve to not only talk about helping people, but to build what is necessary so that we can serve those around us and that ultimately we could share the gospel of your grace. It's in Jesus' name, amen.